just so you know, I'm like a total gearhead. And so like anything I can get geeky about, whether it's like pruning shears or microphones, it's like, oh, no, I will... it's so annoying. It's like, <laughs> you'll bring something up one week and then the next week he's like, well, now I'm an expert and I'll actually tell you how that works. <laughs> You're listening to People Not Things, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives to explore how people are the critical connection of our work and ask why we often take them for granted. My name is Max Kirchhoff, and I host this podcast with my business partner, Isla Murray. Our business, Llama 6, is best known for our bold visual identity work, innovative marketing campaigns, and our commitment to collaboration and critical thinking. We're sitting down with entrepreneurs, creatives, marketers, artists, and others to talk about their passion, their process, and how they stay focused on the people and relationships that matter. Hey, and welcome to another episode of People Not Things. I'm Max, and my co-host Isla is here with us today. Hello! <laughs> Thanks, Isla. Uh, <laughs> and we have a special guest today, which is Connor Miller. Uh, his most recent book is called Sustainable Loops, and he has a podcast himself called The Orbit. Yeah, it's called The Orbit because it's people that are in my orbit. Oh, that's so oh, funny. Oh, I All love right. that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'd, we'd love to chat. We're going to talk about the future of work a little bit today uh, and the topic of your book, Sustainable Loops. So I think it would probably be best if you want to give a little intro on yourself, sort of like, and the book itself on Sustainable Loops. Uh, my name is Connor Miller. Uh, I study the future of work, and that has led me to write Sustainable Loops with my partner, Cheyenne Barton. Basically, what we did was we asked uh, a lot of young people what they struggled with in their day-to-day -day lives, and they sent us hundreds of responses, and we divided them up, found the most common ones, and then answered those questions inside of the book with like helpful uh, to-do lists and uh, journal entries and cool. tips on how to be productive and also not burn out. Yeah, it's oh, so cool. Yeah, th that's so interesting. And I was reading it. Uh, I read the book previously. Um, luckily, my wife, Megan, uh, had a copy of it because she's actually been on your podcast and you all were chatting about this topic and the scope of her work. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. It's funny. I didn't know the title when I first read it. I was like, Sustainable Loops. Wow, that's like a really cool title. Didn't really think too much about it. But then as I get into it, I think it's like in the first chapter or second chapter, you sort of identify that as like, instead of, I don't think you said this, but in my own mind, I was like, instead of that work-life balance, we think about like a teeter-totter of like the, the things we do for work for money in order to sort of support ourselves and then the things we do for fun and excitement in our life. Uh, it was actually like thinking of it as like a repeatable process, like a repeatable part of your life so that you're not actually having to balance like burnout and rest, but that both of them are built into sort of like a loop. Um, yes. uh, yeah. Is that, is that right? Is that like sort of the way you were thinking about it as you presented it? Yeah. I don't, I don't know where I read this or maybe like this came to me in a dream, but uh, <laughs> there was a phrase that someone mentioned to me that was, you can't defeat a circle. And the, re the reasoning behind that was if you have a cyclical system that is sustainable and self-sustaining, you're going like, to barrel through any obstacle. And so I kept thinking about that because I like, personally am a very A-type motivated person. And I'm like, if I'm going to get something done, I really want it to be self-sustaining. I want it yeah. to be a sustainable loop. Yeah. And I was greatly inspired by the book uh designing your life cool have you heard of this one 
Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember the. Who, do you remember the author of that? Is oh man, I have it over there. I oh, used, I used I'll to link remember. to it in the show notes. No Dave worries. Burnett. Dave Burnett, I think, is uh, one of the authors. Cool. But the whole concept was I taking your uh, like day to day routines and your lifestyle as a design problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, that's so that's yeah. so cool. Melissa, actually, our collaborator, we've been talking about this topic a lot. And we were actually thinking of doing a podcast episode on it later. Uh, the idea, right? Yeah, of designing your life, not just a visual way, but like actually structurally when you go into it. Yeah. Um, and for anyone uh, who I guess isn't familiar, like when we think about design, it often gets used uh, as visual design. We reduce the word visual design down to the word design. But in reality, like design is everywhere. Um, and you know this because of furniture, architecture, um, an author, like they design a story, they structure a story inside of a book, uh, like a work of fiction or something like that. And yeah, approaching your life in that way where you're like, okay, so like, here are the things I want to get done. Here are the, t- the skills that I know to complete them. You know, what are the things I need to learn or how do I need to schedule this or how do I need to stack these things? Um, yeah. Going back to the book, what were the most common pain points that you were solving for? Yeah, um, one of one that came up very often was uh, procrastination, mm. and Cheyenne's audience is mainly college students, and so people wanted to know, like, hey, I'm usually overwhelmed with tasks, and I don't want to do what I want to do, and usually I procrastinate. How do I get around that? And uh, this was something like I thought about when I was younger, but I told them it's different for everyone, but this is how I do it, is you think about your values and the things that you want to get out of your project. And, wh- and surprisingly, we don't set a lot of time to think about the things we care about. But if, for example, you care about like getting good grades in school, you, have, you would prioritize your time and set aside blocks to be motivated to do the thing that's going to get you towards that goal. Yeah. So values was the main thing, but also in a more practical light, just scheduling specific blocks of time that mm. aren't necessarily today. So for example, you have uh, an essay that you're going, that needs to be turned in at the end of the month. You can not think about it and wait till the last minute and do it, which is what the majority of people were doing. Or you can say, okay, what's the smallest amount I can do today? When can I schedule blocks in my life designed well where I know I'll have the energy to approach this and do it in a way that I'm not going to hate the process? Yeah. Yeah, like kind of breaking it down into smaller chunks as well. Yeah. And it's, I think it's scary for some people because it's a level of seriousness that they have to bring to their own life that is unfamiliar. Because yeah. you have to be your own manager, which is also kind of the thesis of sustainable loops and a lot of the work that I do. That's so cool when when you think about that too. Um, being serious and like being your own manager and like why why I think like the question I ask myself is like why is that so hard for me? Um, and Isla knows this a little bit about me. Like I have a procrastination part of me. I think like everybody does. And I really have to understand that part of me. And I don't want to say like get rid of it or control it or something, but like there's another more organized part of myself that uh, I need to like let have the reins most of the time. And I think the problem um, when I worked for other people was that that part of my brain was so exhausted at the end of the day um, by the time I got out of work of just having to manage all of this like time and project and everything else for everyone else in my work that doing that in my own life seemed almost impossible. 
where it was like, I just at the end of the day, like wanted to like eat something that made me feel better and do something that made me feel better, but like not in a good way and like a coping mechanism, like an escape from it and not actually investing in my own values and my own goals, my own projects. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know if you find that to be true or if like any of the folks you worked with found that to be true, but it's almost like I, that part of that organized part of me that could take control and plan things was just so exhausted at the end of the day. I just never did it for myself. Yeah. I think I have a strong answer to that. <laughs> and I think, um, people when they're motivated feel mm -hmm. super in control of their like body and mind. And then, you know, Friday afternoon hits, it's the end of the work week and you just don't want to do anything. And yeah. people don't account for that. They're, uh, overly optimistic Monday morning and then truly defeated by Wednesday. And so if you know that's going to happen, like if you're working all day and then at the end you're like, ah, oh, I'm like, I'm super tired, then acknowledge I'm not going to do meaningful work. Yeah. I will do more meaningful work if I like eat pizza and watch TV and then tackle this in the morning tomorrow when I'm motivated. But that is such a difficult thing to like, ex like be okay with because we're so programmed to like efficiently produce and being tied to our desks. And I know that for both Max and I, when we first started Llama 6 and we were managing our own schedules, it was real that letting go and like letting yourself have pizza and not do anything on Friday because you're beat was like, was a hard thing to do. It sounds counterintuitive, but. It's hard. It does. And I think this, this just speaks to a, like a greater problem of people thinking that they have to work harder than they're capable of. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that just because, like, just because companies tend to squeeze as much as they can get out of us without taking into account there are actual like really spiritual things that people need, like the ability to just not do anything in order to be productive. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I was just thinking as you were saying that, I think a good analogy for me um, that still actually has to do with our physical body, which is interesting, is like this uh, in weightlifting, which like I'm very invested in that and I talk about it a lot and all this stuff and I've helped people open a gym here and everything, but uh, here in Austin. But in weightlifting, you couldn't be able to like deadlift. Let's say you can deadlift like 500 pounds. And it's like, you know, you can, you've done it before and you go to the gym that day and you go to lift up that 500 pounds and you can't. And it's like this very real reality that like, whether it's your central nervous system or your energy levels are just really low, or you just got bad sleep or something, the 500 pounds isn't coming off the ground. There is nothing you can do about that. And that right there, it's like, it, it, it's very literal, like, and it's very real. But for some reason, when it comes to like our creative work, we don't we don't understand that and we don't see it. And we're like, if I just do more, it will be better. And in some cases, it's the same as that like 500 pounds where you're like, no, actually, you're not going to move it right now. You just need to go home. Yep. And that's part of what I'm trying to tell people to do is like this, this is as valid as the productive work. And I think this is also a very hot topic that a lot of people are pushing out there is like, your rest time is as important as your productive time. Rest, like, is productive <laughs> yeah so why why is everyone especially big businesses and the government so against that like yes. the four day work week and everything was thrown around as or is always thrown around as idea and isn't there a country or, or that does that 
four there day, might be. Work week, or am I just? I'm not certain. I'm. There probably is. Uh, I know that, like American work culture, just as an experience mm-hmm. in it, and also just reading about it, that burnout is everywhere. And yeah. the reason that companies are juicing their employees for every last drop they got is for in the pursuit of money and cheap labor. Yeah. yeah. They're like, I want to get the most out of this person because I'm paying them like what seems to be too much. I want to make sure that I'm getting returns on it. And they're not yeah. thinking of the human processes that go into that. So gross. And there are all those like psychological tricks, like unlimited vacation and stuff like that, which is supposed yeah. to look. And yeah, this is, this is a system problem that I, that I am personally on a mission to change to provide work alternatives that are more sustainable and don't like buy into this nine to five system where you work for eight hours as hard as you can to like produce the most capital. Yeah. Do you see, um, do you see a trend of people like waking up and realizing this or is it hard to get your message out there still? Um, I would, (laughs) this is a great question. (laughs) There are some people that are aware of this and it's hard to quantify how many people know um, that like traditional nine to five is like not sustainable. There are some people that are beginning to leave that structure or design new ones. I was mentioning to Max on Wednesday, one of the people that I look up to and kind of follow in this sphere is Sahil Lavingia. Sahil Lavingia is the CEO of Gumroad, which is kind of a selling platform for creators. It's like a better version of Etsy. And Sawhill, just because he is working with a lot of creative people and helping them sell their work, he experiences a lot of uh, people who are basically trying to make a living off their art because they're dissatisfied with traditional nine to five. So he's trying to take in their needs and design a system that suits their lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, it's so funny too, because that's just a blind spot, right? Like we're talking about um, corporations and stuff and it's like, I mean, I, I, I have a tendency to, you know, get on a soapbox and, and start, you know, doing, <laughs> preaching or whatever about corporate interests and things like that. And I think that's like, e- also it's like easy for me to say because I've never actually had to lead one of these companies and like, I don't actually understand why they make the decisions they make. I can say, right, like you're saying, it's like increasing capital is increasing money. But then I have to ask myself, like, but for who? And like, what are the conditions of that and all that? But it's really interesting when we talk about um, like what you're saying with Sawhill, like recognizing this need, seeing this like sort of underserved community of people. And this is the funny part is like, if corporations were actually just out to make more money and optimize that stuff, they'd be playing much longer games. And they would also see those people. Yeah. Also understand that need. And the reality is, oh, so go ahead, Isla. No, I just realized what a like short term goal that is. It's like make money, sell the company or whatever. Yeah, or or whatever it is, right? In any interest of any size business. And it's funny because it's like, you could try to get political about kind of like the stuff he's doing. You could say it's like, it's this or it's that, or use some trope about um, how people feel about their jobs and things. But in reality, it's like, it's actually in, in in a way, not to get too political, it's like good capitalism to acknowledge these people's needs and see this gap and understand like where you can actually optimize the world and optimize what they're doing and stuff like that. Because there is also money to be made on, on like them being rested and healthy and creating good things. And like, 
Yeah. And, what was that podcast that we listened to a while back, Max? You shared it with me. It was it was all to do with like the environmental impact of working less and how there was, I can't remember what it was, but it was around like the four day work week again and how productivity was like just exactly the same. Yeah, it was, greater. I mean, that was an NPR uh uh, local affiliated of an NPR. I think it was like New Hampshire or something like that. I'll, yeah. I'll try and uh, link it in the show notes if I can find it. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was very funny because it was about the four day work week and how, you know, you could increase productivity and do all of this kind of stuff. But that it's funny, the system of work as it exists now relies on the five day work week in a way where it's like the companies don't actually want you to be more productive as much as they need you to continue to uphold the system. And there's like, you know, my partner Megan's work, like as a teacher before she was doing what she's doing now, I can talk about that part of it, which is like, uh, it would not be good if suddenly people worked four days a week, but school is five days a week, like that causes all kinds of problems. And the comical part of it, though, is like, even school should be structured differently. And there's all this research, we know, on that, that right. it should start later. Oh, but yeah. Then, but then that whole system breaks down as well. And so we live in this like, you know, giant, much bigger system where changing things the way they are is very difficult and the cost of that this, is very high. <laughs> yes. Like this is, this is a problem this, that I face every single day because I am working with people and studying people who operate outside of that system. Yeah. And when I talk to people who are within the system and upholding it, this idea immediately like makes them upset. <laughs> <laughs> and by upset i mean they just they dismiss it as not legitimate yeah they're like this yeah this is like unfamiliar to me and so i don't want any part of it and no matter how much that i explain that you know a new work structure benefits the, the worker and the product and the process the people who are so reliant and rooted into the system are stubborn to listen and all unwilling to explore that yeah i mean it's i'm guessing it's just literally difficult for them to understand right like in a in a like because it like you're saying it breaks so many of their own ideas probably of how they function on a day-to-day -day basis that it's like hard to even internalize that idea even at a superficial level hard to think about it i was just I was just thinking about when Isla and I first started and we had some initial clients um, when we didn't really have a reputation as an agency yet. And I remember having this really weird conversation with a, a pretty big client we had for an ongoing relationship and I was negotiating a rate with them. Um, and they were like, well, you know, you're a younger agency, not our ages necessarily, but like a newer agency. And, you know, while your resume looks great and her resume looks great and your work looks great, it's like, you don't seem to have the background of experience. And it's like, how many people for how many hours are going to be on this? And I was like, no, 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 it's productivity. Like, let me try and sell you on productivity. And it was nearly impossible. And which is funny because as a person, I think about it this way and I'm sure other people can relate. It's like productivity is actually the biggest indicator. It's like, if I can get all of this stuff done in half an hour, that's way better than if I can focus on it for six hours in a haphazard way. But, um, like people and like the way we think about the work week and all of this other stuff, it's like, we don't think about that. It's volume over time rather than like quality of work and productivity, which is, it's so strange, but it, it, it just is right. Like that is the system that is the measurement inside of the system. And so like, I think, I think it's scary because like productivity is such a personal thing that you can't like quantify it. Cause I'm sure it, in your research, I'm sure you found this or maybe you haven't. And I'm just talking out my ass, 
but it feels like it would vary from person to person, right? I'm sure the way I schedule my day to be the most productive is completely different to yours and Max's. And maybe that's the scary thing for corporations that were like, hmm. what I like productivity. I think you're right. It varies from person to person and also depends on the kind of work that you're doing. And if your job is to like provide high value for five clients, your productivity is going to be different as far as like trying to <laughs> do something for 10,000. Yeah. And it's, I think the scary part for large companies is just this, <laughs> is them realizing they have a lot of reading to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just to get up to speed. And to tie in this thought, I've just been really frustrated about this recently because one out of 10 people, if I'm being generous, will understand that work needs to be greatly restructured. <laughs> and that's alarming. What is your, like, what does that mean to you? Work needs to be restructured. Yeah. Again, like I'm drawn from Sawhill here. I kind of agree. He stated, uh, I asked him specifically, I was like, what does the future of work look like? And he said, small, decentralized, remote. And we can huh. just start with those three. Yeah. Um, small, just because we all like, no one needs to build another Facebook. <laughs> and honestly, you can have a team of three people to build an equivalent for your own community. Small, because small business, you can see each part of it and you can refine it. And the systems don't get too large that they create cancerous results. Decentralized, because we don't have to have a single point of truth. You can have it really segmented and all over the place. If you're like, for example, you, you're remote, decentralized, your company is based all over the world. And that's the kind of work structure that I'm imagining is just like small teams of people that are operating online mainly to produce value. And are you finding that like the talent that's coming out of schools and everything are all drawn towards that too? Uh, a little background on myself. <laughs> Uh, I think we'll clarify this. I went to like a very expensive college and it was not sustainable. I was on scholarship. It didn't work out. I was unhappy. So I dropped out after two and a half years. And then just because like, not like the education was working for me, but I, I, it just, something wasn't vibing. Then later on, I just, we saw the like Ivy league scandals with people getting bribed yeah. and getting into college. And also I started learning I started learning about people who just straight up learn from YouTube and apply things and saw that applying what you learn on projects improves retention more than just like listening to lectures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now I am firmly in the belief that colleges are like criminal. They're false. They don't produce any kind of value. I don't think that uh, people should be going to school uh, in colleges if they don't know what to do. Whenever a friend tells me, like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to grad school, I'm like, that's an awful decision. <laughs> you, for much cheaper, yeah. is quite literally go to what my friends call YouTube University. I know people that build boats, are learning to code, like learn languages all through just YouTube. And I think you will not only learn to be a self-directed learner, but you will probably be more invested in the things that you are investigating. So... As far as people who are like trying to get into the future of work, 
I think that the ones that are most prepared are the ones who are involved in internet culture. And I think a lot of people are involved anyway. Um, I also dropped out of college. Um, and, it, and it wasn't because it was a bad education, but it is interesting. It was er- earlier, I think, than you did, because uh, this was in like the early 2000s mm-hmm. um, when I was in school and I was studying philosophy. And I, I dropped out, honestly, because I was, I was pretty involved in early internet at that time, too. And even this is, I think, much or this is a bit before YouTube. But even then, you could like find and educate yourself on so much stuff online and just like working in the technology and design field then it almost was like you had a better credential by understanding what was going on the internet in 2005 than if you had graduated from one of the top schools and and it's a a phenomenon i'm not sure if that's still true or not but um i do laugh about it because recently somebody asked me how long i've been working in this field and i kind of laughed and was like almost 20 years now um because i remember working at a pizza place while i was building websites as like a side hustle uh and that paid like minimum wage and now you can get a job at you know, one of the top five tech companies for uh, well over six figures for doing virtually the same thing. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Living in Seattle, like I meet people who are self-taught engineers all the time. <laughs> and uh, I tell them like, hey, I would love to like upgrade my day, day job. What's the best way to learn code? And they're like, teach yourself, quite honestly. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I like self-taught designer here too. And it's like, whenever I work with someone or when we bring on contributors that I see are self-taught or who have kind of um, risen up through internships and that kind of thing, it, to me, it just like, it really shows that like... It's almost an investment of self. Yeah, or I think it's like, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. It's to what you're talking about, but like being self-motivated and like setting your schedule and that kind of thing. And I think it has that... Um, having keeping your value in mind that you were kind of talking about at the very beginning about how important that is like your value that you re- like the value of you doing design is so much higher i feel like you get more invested in the projects and yeah more excited about them in in this weird way it might also be like connor you were talking about uh and they literally call it i think project-based learning uh yeah like high school curriculum and stuff and i think there's a little bit of what you're talking about Isla. not everything i think that people who do project-based learning and this is my own experience and maybe this is just my own learning style and my bias you understand like your skills and the scope of work and you understand like more holistically when you're solving like how to solve a problem rather than like how to perform a skill if that makes sense yeah and also like how not to do it inside the rules yeah right like a gazillion different ways to do things and Right? It's and always it's, having a different perspective. That's it's helpful. good to keep the rules sometimes. It's good to bend the rules sometimes. And it's good to break mm-hmm. the rules other times, right? And knowing that balance is super important. Because all, if all you want to do is break rules, then that's just, you know, you can be a very avant-garde artist <laughs> and just break rules all the time. And if all you do is how to play by the rules, then you're probably going to get a great job as a print designer. And a yeah, and there's show. definitely space for that. Like, yeah. I'm in such awe of those really detailed-oriented designers. I'd love to sort of shift uh, back actually and talk a little bit about uh, the book a little bit more and some of the stuff you talked about in there because you you mentioned it earlier as you were talking through it and I think this tightly relates with like the future of work and stuff. Um, I don't know if you read Brene Brown 
Um, but I've, I've read uh, Dare to Lead. I've listened to a few of her podcast appearances and other things like that and uh, watched her Netflix special. Right, right, right. I think it's all <laughs> her TED talk. And then that's... Yeah, and it's... Um, I mean, and like, I think all of her work is great and all deserving to be read and watched and all these other things. But it's also like... Um, it's a lot of her sort of just giving even further explanation just off of that TED talk too. And like a lot of her shame research and things. Yeah, Cause it resonates with so many people and it's like, yeah. Right. And a it's a core thing. <laughs> yeah. And in dare to lead, she really dives into values a little bit and courage is hers. And that's why she focuses a lot on courage or one of hers, I should say. And you also talk about uh, values and focusing on your values, um, which I thought was super interesting. And I'd love to sort of talk about that more. Um, and because I think, when my thought about it when I was reading uh, your thoughts was like, yeah, it is, it, it's funny. It's hard to stay really clear about our values. And I think what sometimes maybe happens, and you can tell me if you, <laughs> you disagree with this or not, but is that we get caught up in other people's values, like whether it's mm. our job or our boss or our partner or our family or our friends. And we sort of forget to like refocus on ours. Uh, and a way I can express that is like just recently this week, I was um, going to like a meetup downtown in Austin and like the vibe around this meetup because of where it's at, it was like downtown. It was like high tech, you know, startups with like movers and shakers. And there was like these like young dudes getting into like a Bugatti. And I was like, oh my God, am I like a total failure? Cause I'm not rich. And like, you know, the fact that I don't drive this car and like, I felt this like jealousy and all this stuff. And I was like, it's so funny. I was just like assimilating their values right then. And it's like, yeah, they love like that hot car and all this cool stuff, but like that really isn't my value. And so like I shook that off a little bit and <laughs> was able to, but it is interesting because even me, who I feel very sure with those things, I was just immediately susceptible to that. Um, and so, yeah, I, is that like your experience of it too when you talk about sort of focusing on your values? Is it like yeah. because of that peer pressure? Yeah. So this, this is a great question. And uh, I, I have a lot to say on this. So the, one of the first times that I started like really thinking about values was when I had to start budgeting and I had to, I have like a barista's wage by day and I have to figure out like, how am I going to make this work? What are my values? Uh, so I picked up a bunch of like budgeting books and they said, people don't want to be rich. Like honestly, at a certain point you have a ton of money, like you're, what are you going to do? Yeah. with that money and whatever you spend it on uh guilt free like that's that's what you value so they yeah. said people don't want to be rich they want to feel rich and feeling rich is being able to spend money on things that you like yeah in terms of budgeting so that made me realize like oh like feeling fulfilled and successful just comes from like <laughs> fulfilling the things that you value I realized that like, if money was no object, I would just spend time reading in cafes all the time. And I'm like, I don't need very much money to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I value that. So further, so that was the first time I'd started thinking about it in terms of like spending this finite mm. resource, money, and going, uh, where do I want to direct this energy? Further, you can also think about this with time. Since on the internet, you can, learn pretty much anything and do like get into whichever community you want to you suddenly have to think about in order to like not go broke with my time what do i value and where i'm where am i going to put my investments based on that yeah and so for me like 
one of the one of the biggest ones for me is community. And so I spend a lot of my time and investment like reaching out to people on the internet and in real life, just kind of like building that. Uh, and that is why the orbit is such a, like an important thing for me because it just brings all these people together uh, who were previously connected because they're kind of uh, doing their own thing on the internet. So that's kind of a long-winded answer. I think that values are our compass. Yeah. And the more that you clarify, like for yourself, like spiritually, um, where where your values are, your work is going to present itself in front of you. Um, I have sort of, uh, Isla, do you have any more like sort of questions or, or things you want to riff on here? Because I, ha I have sort of like a one bigger question and then. The only thing I was going to talk about was like loneliness, but, mm. and the future of remote teams and how to, how, if communities become digital, how to combat loneliness and like real in-person connection. Cause I know that's something that Max and I find as a, ch like a challenge. And I was yes. curious if you had any thoughts on that. Uh <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, in this problem, like for example, um, Safety Wing, also known as like Nomad Cities, they're on the forefront of providing. Oh, knowledge. I listened to that podcast that you did. Yeah, they're they're really cool. They're uh, really forward thinking. But one of the problems that they uh, they have to deal with is just you know socializing with their team across <laughs> the world. And it can be very lonely, mm -hmm. especially if you're working remotely, to like have that kind of company and not feel lonely. Yeah. This is a big field and a lot of opportunity to get innovative here. But one of the most interesting things that I have found is the idea of ambient proximity. And one of, one of my friends uh, told this term to me is like the reason that he hangs out in cafes is because he likes being around people, but without having to necessarily bring any of his personality. And through ambient proximity, you become part of a community. You can manufacture this through long form YouTube videos. You can have um, basically ambient content that fills the role of being part of a community. Huh. I see this firsthand with, for example, Cheyenne's videos. Cheyenne does these cozy, like, draw with me videos where she literally oh. makes a cup of tea and will journal out what she's going to do for that month. And, what, and they're, like, 30 to 40 minutes long. And yeah. the people that watch it will brew themselves a cup of tea and plan with her and do their own thing as well. Yeah, I've heard about kids doing their homework with other kids like that. People sometimes will just put on videos or live streams of other people studying to like just be around other people, which I think is fascinating and also fulfills that lonely purpose. And also, if you talk to someone who doesn't get there, be like, well, that's fake. They, they should actually like try to <laughs> hang out with a real person in real life. Yeah. But you know what? If you look at the comments, all these people are talking to each other. People are engaging with the artists themselves and people are actually having a real community experience hmm. so like that's just one of the many ways i think people can be less lonely on the internet is just like finding ways to get involved in a really cool asynchronous way so cool thank you so much connor i have like one i guess like i don't know if it's a big question or a little question or a nonsense question or whatever yeah um 
I obsess a little bit about the concept of work-life balance, which like I think is an idea structured by our corporate overlords to like oppress us. But <laughs> if I can be so fun, but yeah. um, what is your reaction to that? I'll tell you mine and I want to hear yours really quick. Cool. Which is like, I don't like putting work and life against each other. I think that's like a really strange idea because like my work is inside of my life, not opposed to my life. And maybe I just don't understand it the way other people mean it, but it's like doing fulfilling work makes my life better. It's not like counterbalance against my life. Um, how do you feel about that? Like this obsession with work-life balance and like talk, we talk about it all the time and every, yeah. like, you know, Google and Facebook and everybody promotes, they have quote, great work-life balance. Hmm. Here is the, like, what is most important is that you learn to listen to yourself and your body. If you listen to your body, you're gonna like find what, you're, what you were meant to do. I am an obsessive creative. I'm super A-type, I wake up in the morning, I know when I'm tired. And that means like my work-life balance, I'm going to be working a lot. And I also know when I want to rest. If you realize that you are the kind of person who just like, wants to stay in bed and nest all the time. I have a friend, she like, she doesn't like leaving her house. She's able to um, design her workflow around that. So as far as work-life balance, yeah, they're both intertwined, but it ultimately comes down to what can you reasonably do with the skills and the body that you have? What is something that like fits and also provides meaning? And that requires you to not just listen to what everyone is telling you, but also what is valuable to you, what is reasonable for you, and also what is fulfilling. That I think is like excellent and an excellent summary. I think sort of also just all this stuff we've been talking about and some yeah. of your great thoughts on this. Um, I want to wrap it up and I just want to say thank you so much, Connor. This has yeah, been great. Thank you. We could talk probably for like 10 hours a day every day about this. 100% that I think this often when I, when I meet people and they're like, uh, tell me more about that. And I'm like, buckle up. Be <laughs> a minute. Cool. Uh, that, fortunately, that's why like podcast YouTube and all these books, I, I never run out of reasons to tell people about this because it's so important. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a real fun chat. Um, and I just want to remind everyone, Connor Miller, uh, sustainable loops uh where can they buy your book is it on your yeah, it's on amazon on amazon oh yeah awesome yeah. and then the orbit uh your podcast which is on youtube and i think also on spotify right yep you anywhere you get podcasts you can get awesome. uh the orbit and yeah i'm working on figuring out what's <laughs> the best way to reach my audience so it will always evolve <laughs> cool so yeah thanks again connor um please check out connor's work uh, feel free to email him if you want to chat with him too because he is down to talk about this stuff. Thanks again. <laughs>
So if you're looking to take that next step with your marketing or creative work, let us know. We're there to help. Until next time.